Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if you aren't sick of Microsoft Times Activision and the many government machinations that go along with it, well, then you probably haven't watched my almost seven-hour-long stream from earlier this week in which I go over every single detail brought by the Competition Markets Authority of the United Kingdom against Microsoft as well as Microsoft's return volley, all of which you can see as part of the 37th video in the Microsoft Times Activision playlist. This will now be the 38th video, and we've got some cleanup items for you. We've got some misconceptions out there online about what folks are seeing with various documents, and we've got a review that was asked of of me by many, many folks. Before we get into those details, I do want to point out this is a channel supported by viewers and listeners like you. Please check out our Utreon. Please check out our Patreon, our YouTube subscribership. I am very, very pleased to let everyone know we now, for the first time, have more than 300 combined subscribers across all of those platforms, and I am so, so happy about that. I cannot do it without that support. I'm really not kidding about that. Thank you so much, and please do check out those platforms if you like conversations about the business and law of video games and other pieces of the pop culture that you and I love so much. Now, in terms of details, I want to talk about a few things. First of all, the CMA actually responded to Microsoft's response a few days ago before I did that stream, but I didn't cover it because it wasn't that detailed. But folks asked me for my comments on it. Here's the Games Industry Biz article about those responses in which they say the UK's Competition and Markets Authority today released an issue statement laying out a number of concerns with the proposed Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard and dismissing several of the Xbox makers' key arguments. The first question it tackled was whether or not the acquisition would result in Xbox making Call of Duty exclusive, foreclosing in the CMA's vernacular, something Microsoft has said it has no intention of doing but is only committing to keep on PlayStation for several years. Quote, Financial modeling of the merger suggests that the merged entity's incentive to foreclose Sony may be considerably stronger than that suggested by the parties. The parties here being Microsoft and Activision, the parties to the proposed transaction. Now, what's interesting about that, as we went over from the CMA standpoint on Wednesday of this week, is that a lot of this is prognostication, is weather forecasting. They say they've got a financial model that says that there might be stronger incentive to keep Call of Duty off PlayStation than Microsoft is admitting. And here is one of those areas where, as I said before, I think Microsoft might be extending themselves a little too far. We know that it is their a clear incentive to keep Call of Duty off of Sony. That would be to drive people into their ecosystem, whether that be Xbox or Game Pass. The question is whether or not that makes monetary sense. And that's essentially a mathematics proposition and one in which regulators should be at least a bit reluctant to substitute the judgment of the companies for their own. We've got a model that's different than yours. Now, of course, they can call into question whatever is proposed to them by Activision, by Microsoft. But again, as we talked about with respect to that 80-page document that the CMA put forth, It's a little light on details or actual evidence. Continuing, Microsoft's past business practices suggest that it may be willing to make losses in the short term in order to build scale and increase its user base. They point to the Bethesda acquisition for the most part here, ZeniMax, Starfield, Elder Scrolls, those kinds of things. Microsoft returns volley and says, well, those are not games with communities. We've kept games that have communities on the various platforms the entire time. Call of Duty is a game with a community. You can see we've done that with Minecraft. And I don't really think the CMA either properly grapples with that in this response or that you can dismiss that argument from Microsoft in its entirety. 
I do think Call of Duty is special, more special than Microsoft admits, and I do think Microsoft would be wise to say, sure, we do take other things off of other systems just like our main rival Sony does. Let's take a look at Modern Warfare 2 right now. Let's take a look at Silent Hill 2 as they announced this week, that kind of thing. But Microsoft has a pretty good argument to say we aren't in the business of busting up communities and we would prefer not to do so because that's where our money lives. Right? We don't have an incentive because we have money there. Talk to the CMA, talk to the regulators in terms that they can understand coming from a business perspective because, frankly, they're assuming that you are just twirling your mustache and swimming in Scrooge's money bank and you're going to do the thing that makes you the most money in the short term every single time. Explain that to them and not just argue over rhetoric, which is what I think Microsoft has caught itself doing a little bit here. It also dispensed arguments that Microsoft would keep Call of Duty multi-platform simply to avoid public backlash, saying it did not identify any persuasive evidence that Microsoft would be deterred from engaging in total or partial foreclosure strategies by the prospect of reputational damage. And here again is one of those few areas where I think the CMA probably has the right of it against Microsoft. Microsoft would experience a bare minimum of reputational damage for pulling Call of Duty from the PlayStation ecosystem, especially now that just mere observers of the gaming industry can see that Sony is acting very hostily towards Microsoft and their acquisition. So Microsoft would have a pretty good position to say, you know what, we don't brook any of this. You want to fight full out, let's fight full out. And I think for the most part, console warriors and outside observers would be okay with that from the Microsoft brand side of things. Given how an exclusive Call of Duty could shape consumer decisions around which console to buy, the CMA determined that it would impact Sony's ability to compete with Microsoft, which would have a detrimental impact on overall competition in the market and ultimately harm consumers. And this is where Microsoft properly says, that's a raw assertion. We're going to take one game away from Sony and suddenly the market leader for 20 years can no longer compete with us. How in the world does Nintendo do it? And Microsoft has by far the stronger argument on those grounds. Now you'll see here at the end of this article from a few days ago that the parties who want to weigh in on the issue statement have until October 28th to respond to the CMA in writing. And the CMA has gone out even more publicly than that as of yesterday, which is what a lot of people wanted me to comment on and maybe deliver comments in respect of to the CMA directly. CMA calls on the public for its views on Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. UK regulators said that open comments can also be provided for its eventual provisional findings. Now, this article talks about this comment period. We're going to talk about that as well. We'll come back to it in just a minute. But a lot of people said, hey, is this normal? Does the CMA even do this? And the answer to this is very definitely yes. So if we look at Facebook slash Giphy, the transaction that the UK just quote unquote blocked, we might talk about that a little bit more, but suffice it to say, made it very difficult for an American company to operate in the UK under if they don't do this. Well, you can see that it's a very long process that the CMA engages in. And we can go back all the way to the beginning and read up like we're reading old email threads. And we can see all of these dates where they're talking with the various parties. And as of June 2020, they had a period of an invitation to combat. The Competition and Markets Authority is considering whether it is or may be the case that this transaction has resulted in the creation of a relevant merger situation is big enough for us to talk about. And if so, whether the creation of that situation may be expected to result in a substantial lessening of competition, that SLC we've talked about so much. To assist with this assessment, the CMA invites comments on the transaction from any interested party. These comments should be provided by the deadline set out above. So you can see very early on, this is actually before I believe their phase one, they go and they ask that of the people. Go and talk to us. Now, I will tell you this. I'm not going to submit any comments 
to the CMA on this. You might think, why not, Rick? I'm an American citizen. I'm an American lawyer. I have contacts in the industry, including at Microsoft. And I don't feel that I am in the appropriate position to make a comment to the UK's competition authority on this particular issue. Now, I've got the videos out there. People can put those videos in attachments if they so choose. But I'm not going to be going out there and making a separate commentary. I do not want to be a part of the story. I want to talk to you all about the story, and we can go from there. Now, if we scroll up, we also get a little other tidbit of information here, right? I'm an American lawyer. I have said I do not have the experience going directly through the appeals process on one of these in the UK, and folks have come out and said, well, there isn't going to be any litigation on this. Well, that's not quite how it works. First of all, as I said in that Wednesday video, the Competition Appeal Tribunal is a litigatory environment. It might not all be judges, but they issue judgments. They have control. And if you want to appeal from here, as is evidence in this little list, you can go to the Court of Appeals. So Facebook goes and says, no, we're not going to do that to the CMA. They go up to the Competition Appeal Tribunal. The Competition Appeal Tribunal makes a judgment. They say, actually, we don't like that. So we'd like to take it to the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals accepts that appeal. They go to the Court of Appeals. They lose there. And then there's another merger inquiry as of the start of 2021, which leads us all the way through these various dates and responses and paperwork. And then by the time you arrive in the spring of 2022, there's another order inviting comments during the phase two process. So right now we're between phase one and phase two in the UK. They say, as according to Games Industry Biz here, we're happy to take public comment or as they quote, at this point, we invite anyone, including members of the public, to share their views with us. During the analysis of the evidence phase of the investigation, the CMA will proceed with obtaining and reviewing evidence of the merger. Eventually, it will hold hearings with Microsoft and Activision Blizzard about its findings. If we think the merger could have a negative impact on competition, we also start thinking about potential solutions to those concerns. What we've been referring to under UK parlance as undertakings. In America, it's a consent decree. Either way, it's concessions. Things that you can promise one of these regulators that you could do, you could spin off, you could agree to have happen for the next 10 years or what have you, so that they can say, all right, if you've agreed to that, then we don't see a real problem, at least not one that the market can't adjust for. Uh, So they're going to be going through that process at this time. And at this juncture, anyone can reply to the provisional decision of the merger. Afterwards, the final decision on the acquisition will follow. So everyone's been invited here. And the one commentary I would have is that the CMA has no idea what they just asked for. Because while I'm going to stay out of it, because I've already said my piece in some 40 videos here on this playlist, others are going to be animated about this topic. As I've said in other spaces, either in Hangouts or other places online, one of the really interesting things about running this channel and running this show in virtual legality is that although I talk about all manner of very sensitive topics, very controversial topics, not too often, but I do talk about them, it isn't those topics that result in hate mail. It isn't those topics that result in thousands of DMs or other contact points with me. It tends to be Big-time Sony fans getting mad at me for saying things about horizon pricing or big-time Xbox fans getting mad at me saying mean things about the way that they conducted their launch of the Xbox Series X and the Halo uh, reveal and what's happening behind the scenes and their organization, their messaging and things like that. Companies are all made of human beings and those human beings, like everyone, including myself, are prone to making mistakes. I talk about those mistakes and how I would do things in a different way very often in this space, but it's only when the console war hits that I get 
fraudulent, erroneous reviews of my law firm from Sony fans or Microsoft fans. I get hate mail. I get emails. I get DMs from people that just think I'm a Sony pony or an Xbox. So I hope the CMA is ready because they are going to get comments from all across the land that maybe aren't going to be so substantive and maybe a little bit cruel. We already addressed on Wednesday's stream that I don't think it's fair to ascribe corruption to the CMA, that reasonable minds can differ on the philosophies at play here, even though I am one of those reasonable minds and do not believe that this deal should be blocked under the laws of the UK, the US, and the EU it still is possible for a reasonable mind to come to a different conclusion without taking a giant sack of money with a dollar bill sign. So if you are going to comment to the CMA, one recommendation I would have for you, not legal advice, just practical, is that you really consider what it is that you want to say to them, that you make it logical, that you make it calm. Whatever it is that you want to disagree with or agree with, if that's your side of this particular issue, you lay out both your statement and the facts that support that statement and give them the chance to say, you know what? that person is right. Certainly, I would avoid some of that Twitter language that we see so often because they're going to toss that one right in the bin. Now, that's them opening themselves up to the public and the console wars. Another aspect of what people wanted to talk to me about is this particular article that's floating around, or as Jez Corden of Windows Central put it, interesting, the United States Chamber of Commerce just criticized the UK's CMA says their handling of the Facebook Times Jiffy deal fell short of minimum standards and relied on speculative evidence. Now, we're going to look at what this particular article says, but we've got to offer clarity here, right? If you look at how this has been reported across the internet, you get things like U.S. Chamber of Commerce accuses British antitrust authority of a scam. You get U.S. Chamber of Commerce attacks the British one. The CMA is not the British Chamber of Commerce. We're going to talk about what a Chamber of Commerce is because I think people have missed that. You get all of these headings and very limited kind of correction for what is a misunderstanding primarily. And it's not a misunderstanding I blame people for. U.S. Chamber of Commerce sounds like it could be an arm of the U.S. government. It is not. If we go to look at the about page for the chamber, you see the following. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is the world's largest business organization. Our members range from the small businesses and chambers of commerce across the country that support their communities to the leading industry associations and global corporations that innovate and solve for the world's challenges to the emerging and fast-growing industries that are shaping the future. For all of the businesses we represent, the chamber is an advocate, partner, and network, helping them improve society and people's lives. It's a trade association without a trade. It's a private group of businesses that activate and lobby against governments to defend the position of businesses, right? So this is exactly what we would expect from them. Is the CMA blocking a Facebook deal? Is the CMA getting involved maybe unwarrantedly with respect to the Microsoft deal? We would expect the private group that advocates for businesses to go and advocate for businesses. And I think it's just the naming that is really confusing people because in other jurisdictions, chambers and things might well be arms of their government. But here in the US, you've got local business associations. Generally speaking, you've got state level chambers of commerce. Those state level chambers of commerce may or may not participate in the national level of chamber of commerce here. And all of those are businesses of many different sizes, many different industries saying, hey, There could be laws, there could be regulations, there could be moves made by government that harm everybody, right? 
The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is the one that's going to come out against various taxes, against corporations and business interests. That's what it does. So when it puts out an article that says U.S. companies and foreign competition agencies must all play by the rules. U.S. companies have a responsibility to comply with the competition regimes in which they operate, but foreign regulators also have a responsibility to ensure that they afford those companies fair and due process consistent with international best practices. That is exactly the kind of position we would expect a business lobbying body to have, right? So if you're out there fighting the good fight on Reddit or Twitter or Facebook, wherever you might find yourself online, don't fall into the trap of assuming that some U.S. government body is now fighting with the British one. I think on that Wednesday stream that goes again for almost seven hours, you will see somebody raise a comment to me that they said that the FTC was fighting the CMA. And I said, well, it's possible, um, but I hadn't seen that news. In fact, I think that was a reference to this article about the U.S. Chamber and the difference between those bodies is, of course, that the FTC is a member of the executive branch of the U.S. charged with evaluating these antitrust concerns and would be a very, very different story if it decided to publicly launch a flare against its U.K. counterpart. That did not happen here. These folks, natural enemies, lion and gazelle. Everything that is said in this article is entirely to be expected, but we can still talk about it a little bit. Recent decisions call into question the ability of U.S. companies to obtain due process from foreign competition agencies. Across the Atlantic, agencies in Europe and the U.K. have withheld critical evidence from American defendants, improperly reviewed purely American transactions, and apparently collaborated with other regulators to deny U.S. companies their day in court. It's a good lead. It's a good start. But let's see what they're actually talking about here. To avoid these errors, responsible competition officials must ensure that they afford companies full and fair procedural due process. As the founding fathers might have said, if they were antitrust lawyers, there can be no competition violation without fair procedural consideration. I don't think they would have said that. Uh, frankly, they speak a little bit of a different English than us. But even if they were so inclined to say something like this, I believe they would say there cannot be a violation of competition laws as found without fair procedural consideration. Certainly we can imagine a scenario in which competition laws are completely violated and then just nobody goes and does anything about them. It doesn't matter what the government says about these things. In terms of non-discrimination, for example, a competition agency must afford persons of another jurisdiction treatment no less favorable than persons of its jurisdiction in like circumstances. And this is referring to a kind of international template for what should be fair in evaluating business transactions. And I, I think this makes sense. Folks have come to me in my DMs and throughout the past nine months since this deal was announced saying, well, would they really do something against two American companies to benefit a Japanese company and things like that? And I, I keep saying, well, the law is supposed to be blind on this stuff. Yes, they're to protect their jurisdiction citizens, but you're not supposed to just take a knee-jerk response that says, oh, they're not from around here. We can kick them to the curb. We can make their lives difficult, right? If we imagine that there was just some awesome console that was made purely from UK business acumen, the UK should not just be doing whatever it takes to advantage that company any more than the American FTC or DOJ should be doing something to hurt that company or any other foreign originating company just because we like to protect American business interests. That's not a great way to actually look at the law. In the same vein, the framework mandates that to allow for the preparation of an adequate defense, parties should be informed of facts and relevant legal and economic reasoning relied upon by the participant to support such allegations or claims. This is the business version of you are entitled to know what your accuser has said and how they've come to that determination. 
And now they highlight the main issue with the Facebook Giphy deal that was allowed by the Court of Appeals Tribunal to uh, be revisited by the CMA. The most recent example comes from Britain's Competition and Markets Authority, which was found by the British court to have violated procedural rights during the review of a merger transaction. In 2020, Facebook, now Meta, purchased Giphy, a much smaller company that produces GIFs, the static and animated images found online. Facebook wanted to upgrade and expand Giphy's products. The CMA, however, ordered Facebook to unwind the purchase on the speculative grounds that Giphy might one day compete with Facebook in the market for digital advertising or that Facebook might limit its competitors' access to Giphy's products. You see the use of the word speculative, and I tend to agree on that. But when you think about this deal compared to the Microsoft deal, do remember that Facebook does control more than half of the social media interactions in the UK, at least as found by the CMA, which I think we have to take on its face for numbers like that, and also would control a substantial portion of online advertising with the Giphy purchase that aren't really matched by anything that we're talking about with respect to the combination of Microsoft and Activision. On appeal, the Competition Appeal Tribunal found that the CMA had violated Meta's procedural rights. It was, in fact, half of one ground out of six or seven. The CMA improperly redacted material and failed to disclose that Meta's competitor, Snap, had turned down a chance to buy Giphy and considered its ad business worthless, which does seem pertinent. In other words, Facebook's competitors saw no competitive problems with Facebook's acquisition, a pertinent fact that the CMA should have disclosed. Nevertheless, Meta ultimately abandoned the deal after the CMA issued a final decision against the company. And again, this is kind of alighting some of the facts here. So the Competition Appeal Tribunal says, yes, this is a problem. Go do it again, CMA. The CMA does it again on an expedited basis, revealing more information, and then decides that, yes, Giphy should still be required to be sold by Facebook, which is what we've been responding to for the past week. Of course, the process failures beg the question of whether foreign regulators should review purely American mergers at all. Yes, they should. Facebook's transaction involved American companies, employees, and shareholders with an established American legal framework to address any competitive concerns. Giphy earned no revenue in the UK and had no physical presence or employees there. Now, that no revenue in the UK part is important. Giphy was essentially a floundering company when Facebook picked them up, and I think probably leans towards allowing Facebook to do that. But again, I'm not in charge of these regulators. It is worth noting that with no specific business access from this company, that maybe should have been taken into account by the CMA a little bit more. That said, this paragraph is pure, pure BSery, right? All of these various jurisdictions that get American products sold into them have the right to control exactly what their marketplace looks like. That's what sovereignty means. So while we might not like it, and heck, I'm an American business lawyer, I don't like it from regulators stopping deals that I might otherwise be involved in, they 1,000% have the right to do that, and they don't have to depend on, God forbid, our Congress to make sure their people and their competition and their market is protected. So they have an interest, they have a right. I know that this particular article is written as very kind of angry about that concept, but they won thousand percent have that right. The need for a transaction to have a legitimate local nexus to the jurisdiction that is conducting a review is critical to ensuring that mergers and acquisitions can be efficiently reviewed only by those jurisdictions where the transaction presents a material impact on competition. In other words, you have to actually be selling things into that market. And yes, Giphy might not have been, but Facebook certainly is. And if you think Facebook can do bad things to that market, a reasonable mind could come to that conclusion. And as I said, those jurisdictions have the right to evaluate these things, even if I think as is the case with Microsoft Times Activision, they might otherwise be doing it wrong. But the purpose of looking at this article was to point out that no matter what you might see reported on in various places, 
This is the business lobbying group saying business is great. Government shouldn't get involved as much, which is exactly what you would expect them to say. So not really a story there. Not really as interesting. It might otherwise be presented. And Jez, to his credit, notes as part of this thread that they are, in fact, a lobbying group and that you should discount what they say, even though it doesn't quite make the news headline item when you look at like the difference between 1,800 likes here and, and 300 here. So you want to be careful with that. And speaking of Jez, the very last thing I want to talk to you all about on this particular video is an article that a lot of people ask me to respond to, uh, right? So Jez writes for Windows Central. Windows, of course, being a property, an intellectual property of Microsoft, pretty slanted towards Microsoft, pretty slanted towards their Xbox bases. Nothing wrong with that, especially if it's obvious. Windows Central, very obvious name. We know what we're going to get here. And so I'm not going to do a lot of heavy lifting responding to this. It is as expected, but I will also note it's also a little bit angry, right? So some Xbox fans are getting into this place of what I would describe as frustration. And I can't say that I blame them, but I would point out that Microsoft and Activision gave the year date of finishing this deal at the middle of 2023 for a reason. They knew that regulators would very likely have some things to say about this deal. And while I think the CMA has probably gotten more aggressive than they anticipated, they did know that this would take a while. So if you are frustrated, makes sense. You're seeing some of this fought out in public when, honestly, this is the exact reason I wouldn't recommend fighting these things out in public. But if the CMA is going to publicize, you have every reason to publicize your defense. So I don't blame Microsoft for that. And this frustration is hopefully unwarranted. As I said in that stream, I still have it as more likely to go through than not with limited concessions that won't change the fundamentals of what Microsoft is buying here. But, but... I do think that it continues to get reduced as we see CMA talk about these things. It will be very interesting to see if the European Commission has thoughts that they publicize at the top of November. If they do, we'll cover that in this space and actually seeing exactly what these regulators are signaling. We are not going to hear anything from the FTC. People ask that. In respect to the U.S., they basically go under and talk only to the parties because they think this kind of publicity uh, makes the makes the deal harder, makes it trickier to actually come to a legitimate consent decree and to actually work with one another and Based on these reactions to the CMA, I can't say I disagree. On Tuesday, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority blocked Meta from requiring the GIF platform Giphy, despite previously buying a series of rising social media platforms. Goldman Sachs also helped a client offload a mountain of Activision Blizzard shares this week, sending a pretty clear signal that there's still a lot of doubt. Now, I will say to anybody dumping stock or moving things around the stock market, you do have to take into account we are in an absolutely wild economy. And the fact that you may or may not think the deal will go through is, of course, pertinent to whether you're going to hold a position in Activision, but it also matters when you think that deal is going to th go through because you're just waiting to actually get paid out on that as all hell goes on around you. So if you are a major investment firm like a Goldman Sachs or anyone else, you're evaluating Activision not just on whether the deal will ultimately go through, but how long it will take. And certainly... Those reports that were coming out a month ago that said maybe October, maybe November, which I did in fact dismiss out of hand, were worthy of being dismissed out of hand. This is clearly not going to finish on that time frame. The European Commission itself is only likely to announce it's going to a phase two at the top of November. Jez says it's starting to seem like there's a real possibility of Microsoft's big Activision Blizzard deal not going through. That possibility has always been in existence. I've been at 70-30 for a very long time. I moved to 65-35 in the stream that we did on Wednesday. But even at 70-30, that's a material possibility, what I call a non-zero chance that this deal doesn't go through because you cannot guess 
at what the regulators will determine is interesting to them. And if the regulators determine to try to block the deal or ask for things that Microsoft isn't willing to give, going up to the court system is even more fraud because you don't know what that judge will say. And so even though people come to me and say, well, doesn't Microsoft have a good argument against the CMA? And I say, yes, they do. I can't guarantee you that the regulators will agree. And I can't guarantee you that the appeals tribunal will agree. And I can't guarantee you that the court of appeals will agree. And since we can look at Facebook Giphy and see, well, all of those bodies are very deferential to the UK's regulators. I have to take that into account. I have to say the UK regulators are pressing on there might be an issue here a little bit more than you would expect. Microsoft effectively calling them incompetent, I don't think helps in that regard. And if the CMA decides to make hay here, I'm not sure that those judicial bodies, whether it's an appeals tribunal or the court of appeals itself, are going to come to Microsoft's rescue. So we have to take that into account, even though I can sit here and tell you, I think the deal should go through. The CMA also failed to acknowledge that some of Microsoft's content from Bethesda still exists on Sony's subscription services today, while claiming Microsoft would wield Call of Duty to harm Sony's position, curiously omitting that Sony is the market leader and will remain so post-acquisition. And like I said, there's a certain amount of frustration here in this article. The document hand-waves Microsoft's assertion that Nintendo is successful without Call of Duty by claiming Nintendo isn't even in competition with Xbox and PlayStation, which is a problem with their argument, which we called out in our stream. And why am I railing on the CMA? Well, the first phase of the CMA examination seems to revolve around scraping Twitter hot takes rather than actual market data. And while I can agree that the CMA does not present the level of evidence we would hope to see for what are their determinations, phase one isn't really where that evidence lives. That comes in phase two. Do I think they're looking at Twitter hot takes? I don't. Uh, So this goes a little bit too far for me. If anything scuppers the deal, it will most likely be a combination of incompetence and projection. Projection implies that the CMA is effectively an arm of Sony. I don't think that's in fact the case, regardless of what you hear online. I don't also think that you have to be incompetent to come to a different decision than me or a different decision than Microsoft, even though I think the CMA has failed in its primary purpose of explaining why it might otherwise think there's an issue here. So since they're going into phase two, I'm willing to say they might come to a different conclusion. And projection, if it's not because it's Sony as an arm of Sony and is instead prognostication, is unfortunately what antitrust regulators do and are called to do. They have to try to guess at that counterfactual. They have to guess at what would this universe look like if we don't allow this deal through? And what does this universe look like if we do? And that's all guesswork. I'm sorry to say this is one of the vaguest, most gray area levels of law because that guesswork is required of these regulators. Microsoft dismissed the CMA's opposition as misplaced, and frankly, there isn't a better word to describe it. Unlike search engines and social media, the gaming industry is vibrant and competitive with a large amount of room for small up-and-comers to disrupt the industry. Indeed, it is. But the argument against it, if you want to take up the CMA sword, is that if Microsoft gets too big of a stranglehold on cloud gaming and subscription services, that that vibrance will be lost. You do not have to agree with them. I do not. But they have an argument, and you have to grapple with that argument rather than just saying they're crazy or ridiculous. The phrase, be careful what you wish for, comes to mind with regard to this whole situation, as I feel PlayStation's intervention with regulators has effectively given Microsoft the mandate to take the gloves off and return to the aggressive days of the Xbox 360 era. They might. For years, Microsoft has behaved like a company that wanted to coexist with PlayStation for the good of the industry at large. Yes, right? We've talked about this. They have acted like they want to increase the pie and that harmony makes that pie increase. Now note, yes, that's good for the industry at large. It isn't specifically for the industry at large. It's for making their slice of the pie bigger. 
And that makes sense. That's a business strategy. We don't have to treat them like they are saints when you look at what they have decided to do over the past generation and a half. Meanwhile, Sony has garnered a reputation for carving out exclusive chunks of games like Destiny and Call of Duty to the detriment of Xbox and PC players. Detriment is, again, going to be in the eye of the beholder because you do have situations where if Sony funds something extra, then all they did was fund something extra that exists and wouldn't have existed without their funding. So it does really require you to get in there on the logic. And while I don't like exclusives, there are situations where, hmm, this thing might not have existed if Sony didn't pony up some marketing dollars, right? Today, Activision Blizzard is a trend-chasing price gouger that leaves mountains of beloved IP dead because it only makes millions instead of billions, is most definitely an opinion. Don't ever accuse Jez of not being able to write an editorial or opinion piece here. Uh, But you see this frustration. You see this anger. Activision will be helped if it were in Microsoft's hands. Microsoft should be allowed. Sony is bad. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this is the strongest way to present your evidence because it's so self-evidently one-sided, but reasonable minds can differ even there. That's the regulatory irony here. Really, gamers, regardless of platform, would benefit from this deal with more games across more platforms? Maybe. Would gamers benefit from this deal? I don't know. I don't think it's obvious that they would be harmed by this deal, and so I would let it through. But will they benefit? It requires a crystal ball that I do not have. Microsoft could well take over subscription services. Subscription services could well take over video games. And if Microsoft, with its $2 trillion market capitalization, can just go and push everybody around, could gamers wind up on the bad end of that deal, regardless of pricing and everything else? I think it's possible. Sony may end up regretting getting involved, though, in a world where Microsoft has been sat down and told by regulators that Sony's way of doing business is the correct way. Sony could unwittingly move into a position where it loses bidding wars on content left, right, and center. Perhaps. Right. One thing that I've said from the outset of virtual legality and certainly from the outset of Microsoft really opening up the piggy bank is that Sony cannot compete on cash dollars. It cannot compete for exclusives that Microsoft wants. And so it has to be very careful. And as I like to say in this space, get weird about the way that it competes with Microsoft. That's why you see them gobbling up small companies that don't even have releases that they believe in, in terms of the management and the direction that those companies are going before they're valuable enough to show up on Microsoft's radar. And that makes sense as a Sony strategy. Could Microsoft decide to spend this $70 billion on getting exclusives if they are otherwise told they can't buy Activision? Of course. And would one of those exclusives likely be Call of Duty, at least on the bonus content side of things? Of course, again. Microsoft could quite easily take up that Call of Duty marketing deal from Sony. The Xbox platform holder could dump a pile of cash on Square Enix for exclusive Final Fantasy games. Maybe. Square still wants its game seen by someone, and Microsoft hasn't proven its proposition for JRPGs. It could offer millions of dollars to make franchises like Monster Hunter, Grand Theft Auto, Persona, and who knows what else timed Xbox exclusives. It could take up Tencent's strategy, grabbing strategic and influential positions at companies through stock purchases to PlayStation's detriment. Again, perhaps. To the extent it gets blocked by a deal, taking ownership of stock, even if it's not controlling ownership, doesn't mean you get completely outside the realm of regulatory approval, even though it's going to be less scrutinized than if you were to take a controlling interest. So maybe. We don't know what Microsoft would do, so Sony should be concerned about it because you might have an angry gorilla with $70 billion in its pocketbook ready to go, but we can't say what'll happen. The firm will have $70 billion to play around with after all, plus in this inflationary economic climate, Sitting on that cash is a big no-no, but remember, Microsoft doesn't have to invest it in video games, right? Microsoft could quite easily create a climate where PlayStation gamers end up deprived of more games than they would have been had Microsoft simply allowed to complete its transaction. 
I wrote previously that Sony knows Microsoft won't remove Call of Duty from PlayStation. It does not know that. Minecraft exists as a prime example, pulling in a ton of cash from remaining on PlayStation. And moreover, it isn't the bad guy. What isn't the bad guy in that sentence? Minecraft? Microsoft was hammered by the media for taking a timed exclusivity deal on 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider. In fact, they brought it up in their response to the CMA. And it hasn't revisited that approach since. Yeah, they are chastened by trying to do exclusives and not, it not working out for them. The message regulators could end up sending here is that you have to do business like Sony. Perhaps most egregiously of all, the CMA seems hellbent on preventing consumers from getting a better deal with Xbox Game Pass, despite the fact that's the body's entire reason for existing. Now, I know what Jez means here, right? But I can assure you the CMA does not exist solely to get gamers into Game Pass. The CMA says PC and Xbox gamers should have to pay $70 for Call of Duty instead of 10. Why? Simply because the market leader opted out of competing. It amounts to a dereliction of duty at best. Yikes. But that seems to be par for the course every time a government body takes even the vaguest interest in the video game industry. Now, that would be a stronger conclusion, I think, if it weren't self-evident that Sony is the bad guy in this article, Xbox is the saint, and that that was always the way you were going to look at this particular uh, argument. So I do think you could write this a little bit better. In terms of response, I think we understand where Jez is coming from, and I certainly understand the frustration. I think a lot of this is well-written, and I think there certainly is a notion that Xbox having $67 billion, not 70 because they're going to owe some to Activision if this deal gets blocked, could go and do all manner of bad things if it decided to just say, well, we were going to lose that money anyway, let's spend it. But that's not usually how businesses work. They had a business plan. They had a big old binder of materials that explained how they're going to get that money back from the Activision's purchase. And they won't have that business plan ready to go necessarily if that deal gets blocked. Do they want to buy Final Fantasy? It seems unlikely to me. Could they just to harm Sony? Yes, but they have fiduciary responsibilities just like any other corporation. So my response to this basically is it's understandable, uh, but it probably goes a bit too far in the direction of Microsoft and puts a little bit too much of a black hat on Sony, who after all is just trying to do what the regulators allow it to do. Uh, The Sony argument is basically, wait, wait, regulators, are you really concerned about this? Well, then we're going to ramp it up. And that's what we're looking at right now and probably in the foreseeable future. If you do enjoy these conversations about the business and law of video games, technology, software, and more, please consider, as I mentioned above, supporting the channel at Utreon, Patreon, YouTube. There'll never be more of you than there are right now. Maybe. Maybe it'll keep going up. Who knows? And if you do support on Utreon or Patreon, there is a tier in which we acknowledge those supporters in a group at the end of the month. Today, we're doing that. So many thanks to our group supporters, the Hogue family. Papa and Mama, who have clandestinely been supporting the channel for a while, and I really, really appreciate it. We're bringing them up. Thank you so much, Mom and Dad. Brendan Coleman, Adam Kiniston, Lethal Five String, Hargit Chani, Chillin' Joy, Roketsu86, Lady Emily, Sinfrog, and Falkus Vipus, some of which you've seen at the even higher tier where they sponsor a specific episode. Please do check those out. And many, many thanks to our sponsors. We can't do it without you. And if none of those things interest you, just subscribing, telling your friends, ringing bells, upvoting, downvoting, commenting, and basically telling YouTube that you care at all about this content is very, very helpful. If you did watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, 
please consult your own legal counsel.